Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast, an emergency podcast such as it is. We woke up to the news that Maria Sharapova was announcing her retirement at age 32. I'm in the studio with Jamie. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. I don't know if you share my sentiments. This was news that is not remotely surprising. We were all expecting this. I think uh, most people had already pre-filed the Maria Sharapova retires column, and yet I got to say, it feels, you know, we're an hour into this, but uh, feels a little weird. Definitely. Uh, this is not like uh, last time we had big Sharapova news at SI, which was, of course, in that. 2016. And that that was a big surprise. This, like you said, I think we all saw it coming. It was a matter of when and, and not if. So for it to be now is, um, I think, a pretty normal timing given that whether she's going to play Indian Wells in Miami probably would have kick-started her into the French and then Wimbledon and then sort of you're, you're playing out the year at that point. So for her to call it quits after Australia in this little gap seems to make sense. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, ranked ranked 373, something had to give here. This is a five-time major champion who you did not think was going to play the wild card game for very long. I, I guess if I would have perhaps suspected she would have played Indian Wells. It's an event where she's had success. It's two hours from her home in, in Southern California. She would have gotten a grand send-off. Um, but, you know, this this is... Uh, I, I always thought there, you had these two competing instincts with Sharapova. What what do we know about her? She is fiercely driven, fiercely competitive. She is and always has been, and I think we can talk about this a bit later, the, the consummate professional. And those are really dueling instincts when you're ranked... 373 and not playing at anywhere near the level that you're accustomed to. Um, part of you probably says, I can fight through this. This is just more adversity I can overcome. I'm better than this. I just need to work harder. I can get my body right. I can get my mind right. I can get back. I don't want to go out like this. And another part of you says, 
surely I can't have this indignity. I can't be losing round after round early. I'm not seated, so I'm playing tough opponents. My body's giving up on me. So I, I think you had, and they came from the same place, but they're two very different ways to react to to the same core instinct. And today, she said, enough is enough. I mean, I, I do think you're right that, um, the, you know, February is a, a strange month in tennis. And I, I guess, you know, we're, we're, there's no perfect way to retire from a sport. And we see even within tennis, players do it very differently. Some players go on this, this goodwill tour. And some players like Carolyn Wozniacki says, look, I'm going to pinpoint this as my last event and go ahead and prepare your tribute reels. And I'm going to play this event knowing when I lose my last match, that's it. And Sharapova, and we've seen other players, players do this as well. Sharapova essentially pulled this out of the blue and it's, it's a Wednesday and she's not at a tournament today um, and re- retired in her own way. So I, I don't know. I mean, the other there are a number of questions that stem from this whole conversation and jump in any jump in any time here. I mean, I think you have the, the overall question when a player retires as we assess legacy. Um, I don't know if particular bullet points jump out at you, Jamie. I think I think highs and lows complicated legacy, uh, of course, is going to be attached to Sharapova. Um, the the craziest thing, I think, if you, you know, look at the timing now, she's ranked 373, which says absolutely nothing about her career. But to your point, I mean, she was at the point now where she was trying to come back and she's nowhere even near the top 100, uh, you know, not even winning any matches. And it's it, it must be really hard for her, honestly, to, you know, given all that she's accomplished, I think we said 36 WTA titles, obviously the five Grand Slams, all of these rivalries, quote unquote, particularly with Serena Williams, which is also another interesting conversation to have. But I think it, it was probably getting difficult for her to continue to be, you know, struggling and um, her her legacy, given, you know, the the Meldonium and the ban will always that will always be part of her story. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And today should be a happy day. Celebrate uh, a five-time major champion. I mean, I, I was looking at her stats. I mean, I think we forget how good she was for for a variety of reasons. I, I think to the casual tennis fan, they are misled by two things. One is the head-to-head with Serena that you referenced. She beat Serena, breakthrough, center court, Wimbledon final, 2004, and then she loses. You know whatever the math. I mean, the twenty and two is the the rival. So, right. so she loses eighteen in the next nineteen matches to to uh, Serena Williams, um, and I, I think that to the casual fan, that we, we say rivalry, and then we sort of have to amend that to say with a lopsided rivalry, which might be an oxymoron. Right. The other thing about Sharapova that I and I wrote about this that I, I think is a great um, so sort of misleading bit about her is. She had this regal disposition, and she endorsed product after product, and it was very upscale, and it's Evian and Cole Haan. And I remember you—I I once remember walking in New York and seeing her on three different billboards for three different upscale products. And there was this this aura of elegance. I mean, she was selling herself, and as much as she was a brand, she was selling this sort of cosmopolitan, posh elegance. And yet the tennis was—I I always called her sort of tennis's gym rat— I mean, it was not elegant tennis by any stretch, and she would admit to that. Right. And she was in her own way, in her own six-foot-one-inch way. She was a grinder, mm-hmm. and she was not what you call an athlete. She wasn't a graceful mover. She did not play graceful, elegant tennis. 
And I always thought that was really to her credit that you'd see her on the back courts and she'd be doing her footwork drills because she knew that was an area to improve. And she would be working on her serve, which always gave her fits, in part because of the shoulder injury. And she would grind out matches and she would win tough matches. She did not. This was not the female Roger Federer. And I think tennis fans, of course, know that. But I think casual fans see all of this aura of elegance and assume she played that way. And that wasn't the case at all. I mean, the, the screaming, grunting, grinding, sweating, you know, brushing the hair that had matted to her forehead. That's the Maria Sharapova on the tennis court as an athlete. Um, and I think, you know, it, again, I want to this should be a day to give credit to someone who had a tremendous career and five majors. Yes, but you know, 36 titles, almost 40 million dollars. She got to number one. I mean, this is really an A-list career. And you know, she had the misfortune of playing at the same time as Serena Williams, and there was a lot that went into that relationship beyond the tennis that probably did not work to uh, Maria's benefit. But you take away Serena, you take away Venus Williams, seven majors, maybe Justine Hennon, maybe Kim Kleisters, and I think it's very easy to make the case. Maria Sharapova is one of the top five players of the post-Steffi Graf, you know, of the last 25 years in tennis. So... This is really a remarkable career, and yet, as you mentioned, if we're going to talk about her honestly, this wasn't the way it was supposed to end, which is, you know, a a doping ban. I thought a very clumsy handling of the doping ban. I thought it was very out of character and off-brand of her to have sort of been so sloppy, not just in in the violation, but then in in the aftermath and how it was handled and and some of the, 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 the press conference that we referenced, and she was never the same player after that, and, you know, correlation is not causation. It may simply have been that she was out of the sport and she, you know, was was in her early 30s. And players get older. We see this on not just in tennis, but in in sports in general. I mean, 32 is a big number in in women's tennis. But it was not supposed to end with a doping band and a ranking that drifted deep into triple figures. So overall, macro, great career, Hall of Fame player. But there is a tinge, I think, of, of bittersweet. There is a little bit of disappointment that um, this wasn't the way this Hall of Fame career was supposed to be. You can p- compare what we saw a month ago when Carolyn Wozniacki is out there right, on the right. court and her family's there and she's toasted and all of the players are making tribute videos and we're, um, you know, she, she's crying, but she's saying, I'm not sad. And she does. I mean, I talked to her the, the following day and she was all gussied up because she clearly had been right. doing the sponsor rounds. That was... There's definitely a difference of a decision on your terms mm-hmm. and a decision that was made based on your body and uh, the the time of your career. You know, it's, it's very different in comparing it to Wozniacki, especially given Wozniacki's recent title in Australia. It just seemed very full circle for her to do that. Um, this, again, is... Random, but also very expected. I think one of the things I always sort of liked about Sharapova was um, her personality in, in two ways. I think we talk, you talk about her on the court, sweating, grinding, shrieking. I mean, everyone, I think, even if you're not a big tennis fan, you know Sharapova because maybe she made you mute the TV while you were watching a match. And that's something that a lot of people will probably joke about. But, you know, she worked hard in the court. She was always, like, fierce and, and you know, a competitor for sure but she also you know I remember pressers and and interviews where she's actually has a very 
great personality and, and, you know, quite opposite of that fierce competitor where she could be funny and she was actually kind of witty and, and, um, you know, there was a, a side to her personality that was very likable when most people on the court probably saw the opposite. So overall, she's a huge name in this sport. She's one of the handful that transcends just tennis. You, you mentioned her and she needs only one name. Um, there's only a handful of those type of athletes. So I think uh, she will definitely be missed. I, I, I think it would be fair to say. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think what happens next will be interesting. I mean, I, I always felt like, and I don't, I don't think it was dishonesty. I think it was shrewd and, and clever, but there was a real gap, I thought, between reality and perception with Maria. And part of it was just this grinder mentality, this real professionalism that she took to the job, and then she was marketed as this, this sort of elegant queen. Um, I always found her to be sort of introverted. I think you're right. There, there, was, a real, there was a real wit to her. She's very smart. Um, and she had these various business interests, but she was not someone that was there's a mystery jumping around the world. And I mean, I think she I mean, I, Cor- Courtney tells a story of sort of they, they talked about what board games they were going to buy because uh, Maria Sharapova likes to go home and, and play board games. And she was not someone who you thought was going to the clubs till 2 a.m. And she wasn't someone that was going to every you know, Warren Buffett summit. Um, there was a real sort of I- introversion to her. And yet at the same time, she was this worldly figure who, uh, who, who also had this, this business empire. Right. And that's, as you say, like her next chapter, she, uh, you know, set it in the Vanity Fair piece, but she's going to climb up her next mountain and, you know, traverse her next terrain here. So you want to, um, uh, you want, you want to guess what that mountain is? I, I think that her, her business and, and things will probably expand, um, beyond Sugar Pova. I mean, she's, showed an interest in fashion and that sort of space, creative in terms of things like interior design and, and stuff. So I feel like there might be a, um, you know, something for her along those lines. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, first of all, when athletes retire, and again, this is in no way 
pejorative. I mean, I really sympathize with athletes, but there's always a question, especially in individual sports, is, is this going to stick? I mean, had Maria Sharapova not retired today, we likely would have been talking about Kim Kleisters, who at age 36, three children, is back out there unretired for, for a second time. I think it's a totally normal instinct to say, I had this one in a billion, literally one in a billion gift. Why am I so quick to stop doing this? Um, so whenever an athlete retires, there sort of becomes this question of, do you think it's going to stick or do you think we're going to see them again? I don't think that is the case here. Um, I don't think part I of agree. it is physical. Part of it is just the, the grind and the travel and the fact that she has this diversity of interest. I don't think a year from now, Maria Sharapova is going to quietly enter uh, a 250 event on a wild card and dip her toe back in the, in the WTA waters. I also don't necessarily think, I, I think she liked parts of tennis. I'm not sure she loved the the circus and the culture and the, the ecosystem of tennis. I don't think this is a player who is going to she wasn't appear a, on Tennis Channel or go coach a player. A locker room, right? Not a locker room stalwart. Yeah, yeah that's that's well that's well put. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think there's probably something to be read into the fact that she announced this retirement on Vogue and Vanity Fair. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, she, she wrote a memoir, and she lives in Southern California. I mean, it's um, Kobe Bryant has, in, in so many ways, has emerged as, as a figure in the last month. And one of the ways I think he's emerged is he's really become the standard bearer for how an athlete can make a graceful transition to go from being an athlete to being a creative force. And may, maybe that's, uh, you know, I mean, she lives... 10 miles from uh, any of 100 production houses. I mean, I think there are a lot of options outside of tennis for Maria Sharapova. And, you know, I I think um, tennis will miss her. This day had sort of been coming for a long time. But, yeah, James, I mean, it's going to be weird to look at a draw and not see a five-time major champion there. We had a taste of it, but I think uh, with when you when you couple that with Wozniacki's retirement and perhaps at the end of this year, we can add other names to this list. You know, it's it's making 2020 feel like a big transition year for the WTA already, even with yep. only two names on that list. So I think <laughs> right. it will be interesting to see. I mean, we're still so early. That's what's crazy is that it's only February and uh, tennis, of course. These are the warm-up bands perhaps for... Uh for players with more major than five. But right. um, I'll tell you one last thing that's interesting. I'm looking at her bio right here because I was looking up her, her prize money, um, which is almost $40 million, and that is strictly uh, her t- tennis purses. That is to say nothing of which endorsement I'm... income, which I'm sure dwarfs that. But exactly. um, So here's more. This is, this is from her WTA website. More on Sharapova. So it has her father, Yuri, her mother, Yelena, Started playing tennis at age four. At age six, she took part in a Moscow exhibition that featured Martina. This is sort of the standard bio stuff, right? She became, she began training at Balateri's at age nine. We all know the story. Um, her, her father, they came over with very little. That's sort of the, the standard bio. And then the very next sentence, so nothing about tennis, nothing about philanthropy, just this is the next sentence after the bio. Has become a major force in the business world with a series of very successful ventures, including a Nike apparel collection, a Porsche ambassadorship, and launching a candy and chocolate line, Sugar Pova, in 2012. So this is her own WTA bio. This is like the in-house talking points. And after the basic biographical bullet points, uh, what comes next is a major force in the business world. Um, If you were uh, looking for symbolism or reading tea leaves for what comes next, uh, that's... 
to me says plenty. Um, but again, I, I want to just harp on the tennis because a lot, a lot of angles to the story. People have a lot of opinions about Maria Sharapova. Again, the last five years, the uh, to, to use the cliche, that the, the narrative sort of lurched in a different direction. But I think step back, and we are talking about really a, a, a five majors, each of the four and the French twice for a player who, by her own admission, is no athlete. This is really a tennis career worthy of our celebrating. I, uh, I agree. I wanted to ask you about going into the SI vault here, going back to the July 25th, 2004 issue. There's a story here oh, with the headline, <laughs> A Star is Born. A star who happens to be a gorgeous six-foot blonde with blistering strokes is the headline. Uh, but tell us tell us a little bit oh, about man. this story. So she, this is 17-year-old Maria Sharapova after she wins Wimbledon, right? So uh, you kind of went along for the media ride after all that with her? Tell us a little about the story. I feel like we're, we're dating ourselves. It sounds like a very, uh, you know, 2004 media assignment. But um, my colleague and, and friend Scott Price was at Wimbledon and, and did a very fine story. Maria beats Serena Williams, and you really had this sense of emergence. Um, and then she came to the U.S., and you had this sort of young tennis talent, and she had this backstory. Um, she had IMG working the, the machinery and had this this media tour, and they invited me to basically uh, go on go on the drive along. At the time, she had one endorsement, and I always kid her her agent Max Eisenbutt about this. Um, but by the way, sidebar: one agent her whole career. That tells me something about her priorities, her loyalties. Um, I, I think there's something significant about that. But um, anyway, Ma- Max Eisenbutt uh, invited me to come on the drive along. At one point, she had one sponsor, which was Speed Minton. Uh, which, which is sort of like a, a pickleball rival. I don't know if Speed Mitten never caught on, but I credit them for their prescience in signing Maria Sharapova as a teenager to uh, endorse their product. It was like Speed Badminton. Um, just come a long way That's to uh, a, a Porsche ambassadorship, Kohan, Evian, and, and whatnot. But Speed Mitten was her only sponsor. She wins Wimbledon, and there's this absolute media frenzy. And they invited me to basically come on the you know, what, what do you call it with police on uh, the Dan Abrams show? You know, I was like the, the ride along. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I went, you know, back, backstage at the Craig Kilborn show. I remember Max Eisenbud saying, uh, Craig Kilborn show's perfect because I think this isn't the story. It's, it's perfect because you, uh, you, you get practice in live TV, but it's only Craig Kilborn. Um, Craig Kilborn eventually became Jon Stewart. So uh, it would have, bit of bigger deal but I you know I, I think we went to Regis and Kelly we re- went to Regis and Kelly we went to NBC and then she was supposed to play the New Haven event so we drove to New Haven and her phone is buzzing and again this is a few days after this great breakthrough she's won Wimbledon dream come true beat Serena Williams and it was just absolute chaos and craziness but there was also a sense even at age 17 that she knew she needed to capitalize and you win a tournament like that and you have a moment like that and you don't go back to Florida and sit on the beach. You need to suck it up and take 72 hours, take a week and come to Manhattan and do the circuit. So uh, I followed her along for that. She was absolutely exhausted by the (laughs) end. I mean, she was absolutely going on fumes, which was more than understandable. But even at age 17, she had not just a real presence, but a real professionalism and a real sense that she knew very early on, and maybe that was a function of coming from some privation. I mean, maybe that was the circumstances of her coming here and some some desperation 
earlier, but she knew that her duties were going to go beyond hitting a yellow ball across the net and that sitting with Kelly and even if you had to explain your grunting or even if you had to schmooze with sponsors in New Haven when you'd much rather be talking to your friends on the phone, she knew that there were duties and obligations to being a tennis player that extended way beyond tennis. And that was something that um, she never lost her entire career. I mean, again, an absolute say what you will about her. I realize, I mean, my Twitter already, you, you post a retirement announcement already that the polarization has begun. Right. But you cannot deny that this was a consummate professional athlete. Agreed. Very, very poised, especially um, in all of those media, reading through the article as you're talking through it. But I mean, there was, like you said, Regis and Kelly, the Today Show. Yeah, 17 years old, too. Yeah. And, and right after everything, I mean, we talk about it with even Sophia Kennan, like going through this whole, it's a life-changing moment. And, um, you know, this was in 2004. So this is before a lot of the things that we have and, you know, athletes have to deal with today. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, well, we'll link, we'll link the story. Um, good, uh, good on Maria Sharapova though. Um, this, this is the day to, to celebrate a hall of fame career. We will see her in Newport. And, um, yeah, it'll be, I mean, again, Indian Wells starts in uh, about two weeks, Jamie, and right. it will be, uh, be a little weird. I'll, I'll admit it. I mean, she's, she's been part of the firmament for almost 20, can that be right? I mean, more than 15 years. Wow. Yeah, almost yeah. 20 years, Maria Sharapova has been part of tennis. And uh, Do you think that she will be one of the former players who show up and, you know, sit in, sit in the box at the French Open or come and hang out at Wimbledon and, and watch a few matches? Or do you think she's going to take a time, at least for this year, to watch from the comfort of her home? That is a great question because there is a real continuum there. I mean, there's some players, you it's like they're never left and you see them all the time. And other times, you know, Steffi Graf is a prominent example. You, you don't see Monica Salas out there. I mean, other players you seldom, seldom, seldom see. I think Maria will do what's expedient and what's necessary. And if there's some WTA reunion, she'll be a good sport and she'll be there. And I think if she's being honored and would, would you give out the trophy in 2024 on the 20th anniversary of your winning Wimbledon, would you present the trophy? I suspect she'll say yes. But I don't think she's going to uh, show up and hang out in the in, in the players' lounge for the for the hell of it. That's fair. Uh, looking forward to seeing what's next. I know we talk about this yeah, all right. the time, yeah. but retirement, especially with an athlete with as long of a career as Mary Sharapova, suddenly just cutting it off and stopping uh, has to be one of the hardest things. So it um, will be really interesting to see how she handles it and what happens next. Absolutely. Um, all right. That, uh, you know, we, we were going to have a whole discussion this week and Roger Federer's knee injury and Kleister's <laughs> was back and Nick Kyrgios hates clay court tournaments and uh, the Bryans won uh, their 100 and whatever, 119 title. We did. We had title. a big list. Um, we will do that next week. But um, I'm glad we were able to do this on short notice. Um, Maria Sharapova, off to Newport. Um, we congratulate her on a Hall of Fame career and we will uh, we'll do this again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Jamie. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, this was an emergency. Maria Sharapova retires podcast. This is the Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. We will be back next week. Keep your suggestions coming. Continue to rate the show. Recommend, uh, recommend more guests. Subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Thanks for listening, and we'll do it in seven days. 
We'll be right back. 